Hello, and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice for the most interesting people. Whether you want advice, mentoring, or ideas. I'm Josh Nix, content producer for Label Sessions. And in this episode, Keisha Kijano of Label Sessions talks to Ralph Steenmetz. Ralph is a seasoned IT leader of over 20 years of experience in his career, working for big hitters like Microsoft, Warner Brothers, Nintendo, and most recently, Unilabs. Ralph is the leader to come to when you need help navigating your digital journey or spearheading digital transformation. Hi, Ralph. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're super excited to host you on the podcast. I'm going to explore a little bit about what it means to make change happen through technology and IT programs, something that you are very much known for. Maybe to kick us off, um, could you introduce yourself to the Label Sessions audience? Ralph Stiemitz. I'm Dutch. I am happily married. Uh, I have some kids. Uh, most of them are out of the house or uh, are planning to get out of the house or we are planning to get them out of the house, uh, either or. Uh, 52 and next month uh, 53 um, and uh, um, uh, basically have been working as independent contractors since kind of like 2000 um, 99 2000 um, is where I made the switch um, and uh, where eventually I, I, I basically got where I am now um, gradual, uh, some ups, some downs, uh, uh, but but getting where I am uh, is basically it. In in my free time, um, uh, working mostly on my motorbikes. Uh, uh, actually, the riding is what I do up and down to work because it's 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 much more effective uh, with all the traffic jams. I am able to filter through traffic in that sense. And uh, uh, paintings like these uh, behind me uh, is what I do uh, if I have the space and time uh, uh, to actually do this. Uh, uh, currently, not necessarily um, uh, my main, uh, as everybody knows, I guess, and uh, my name, my mainstay of, of, of work. But uh, who knows what can happen afterwards? When you're not going around the Netherlands on your motorbike or painting wonderful um, bits of art. What are you doing? What's your current sort of role or job at the moment? I am uh, now uh, working as the IT lead uh, or head of IT in the Netherlands for Unilabs. Uh, Unilabs is a diagnostics uh, firm. Uh, um, we do IVD. Um, uh, we do microbiology, uh, uh, but also clinical chemistry testing of uh, uh, human samples, uh, uh, blood uh, uh, and, and stool and, and urine samples, for instance. Uh, we are expanding into other areas such as radiology, pathology, and, uh, and uh, biometrics in the Netherlands, but we're also expanding our footprint in the Netherlands. So basically what I'm doing at the moment, um, <clears throat> although I was not necessarily hired for this, but I took on the role as it was being thrown in my lap at that stage, um, I am, uh, I'm working on on actually consolidating the the, the, the organizations that we have currently in the Netherlands, which happened to be three, but since last week, a fourth one has joined into one uh, coherent IT landscape where we will be able to just share information uh, across our organization, but potentially even, um, and that's uh, come up the last two, three weeks, uh, help the Dutch uh, healthcare organizations to actually create a, a single source of truth for uh, patient records. So also there, there is a, um, a potential for uh, for consolidation and, and cooperation, especially between the labs in the Netherlands, hopefully. I think that's wonderful. And 
sort of so needed in um, the medical field as well. So incredible work. In an ever-evolving tech landscape, what emerging trends or technologies do you find the most exciting or challenging to work with? I think exciting and challenging at the same time, especially for for medical profession in that sense, would be AI. Uh, and I'm just sorry for jumping immediately on that because everybody says, "Oh, this is this is wonderful." Actually, I'm I'm an old tech person, so I'm not too fond of AI on on what it um, is built on, uh, but maybe on what it can be. Uh, worth in that sense. Um, uh, let me explain on that one. And that is, um, if on a medical record, I have uh, a potential to identify a, a patient uh, based on their medical uh, history, uh, of course, I should never use AI in order to do this. But uh, we can use AI in uh, uh, the, the, the pathology or uh, radiology areas where uh, we have AI run through the images and say, is this a, a break? or a fissure or uh, or something else in an anomaly on, on, on the pictures. Of course, there that is a possibility. But once we um, talk, for instance, to, to to customer service centers where they say, well, you, might, you would be able to use a chatbot or an AI, then I'm uh, adamantly against uh, using AI because of the patient uh, confidentiality and the records uh, and even the safety for the patient uh, that, that we need to be, make sure that we adhere to. So there is there's this this bias against yes I would really like to use AI but AI is so all encompassing that I I really need to make sure that we understand where can we and can we not do this and then on the other hand uh, medical or care um, in, in the Netherlands but I think uh, what I hear from my colleagues across uh, Unilabs but also uh, elsewhere is that uh, we've always been the, the, the latecomer on uh, the newest of the newest technology. So we're always using older technologies. Um, uh, what I heard was that our fax machine uh, ceased uh, uh, operations only six months ago, uh, which kind of makes you understand what kind of, 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 of challenges we have in order to, to get into the, the newest of the newest uh, um, IT environments. And I think uh, you need to be able to find a balance between that because uh, conservative medical people, uh, and that's a generalization, so uh, there are people that are very much forward uh, thinking, but usually it's the conservatism and um, the risk averseness of uh, uh, the medical uh, profession. Uh, we have to make sure that this is uh, uh, understandable and, and uh permeates throughout the whole IT landscape. So we have to make sure that it's it's really, really uh, like a Ford Knox of, of, of uh, medical uh, medical data. However, on the other hand, what happens in all countries uh, in Europe, but I think uh, even across Europe and maybe even worldwide, is where we state uh, what we want to do is, is uh, share information across, not just within the company, but also across companies. So, for instance, if we have a patient that has been uh, treated in a hospital in the south of the Netherlands and that patient falls ill in the north of the Netherlands, we should not have to redo all the diagnostics that have already been done, all the research that has already been done. We should be able to go into uh, a centralized patient record. Um, and, of course, again, there you have the, 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 the issues of who is accessing my record, uh, who can go in or out of my record, uh, what is happening with my data? Am I secure? Am I safe uh, from a from a patient perspective? And we, as as a as a technology uh, company, 
because I, I strongly believe that Unilabs is a technology company and not necessarily a medical company anymore, that much, um, is uh, uh, responsible to ensure that safety of that record that we uh, uh, publicize into those uh, centralized databases. And that is up and coming as well. And, and I think um, a company like Unilabs, the way we are uh, a, a, a private company, not a public company, uh, we have an additional uh, uh, stewardship towards uh, making sure that this is safe and secure, but we also are able to help uh, from that aspect um, uh, on, a, on a more uh, countrywide or even super regional wide uh, uh, aspect to help build this central truth uh, database where uh, patient records are uh, treated with respect and, and, and diligence. I think almost on that point, talking about sort of innovation, digital transformation, and also healthcare, I mean, one is a, a very expansive thing by nature, and the other is what I imagine is you know, understandably very regulated, and you would maybe possibly kind of, we could describe it as a, a risk-averse environment. Could you talk us through more about your experience of making change happen in these highly regulated environments. I mean, we know it's needed, but is it hard to make those changes? Very much so. And it also, I think it depends on, on, on um, uh, the country. Um, everybody knows, in, in this case, I will, I will just centralize it towards the EU, but we do have outside of the EU also uh, enterprises. So we, we, we are aware of the, of, of the shortcomings uh, at certain uh, technological uh, areas, such as the databases that need to be hosted in the EU, EU etc. But once we go to Peru or, or the United uh, Arab Emirates, we are very much aware of the fact that the data needs to be residing there. So even within our own systems uh, that we're uh, uh, trying to, to, to uh, align as much as possible, uh, uh, we need to make sure that, that these things are permeated through. Um, on the other hand, if I then uh, project that towards the Netherlands, I see that when I look at the, the wishes of the Dutch government to create a, a, a unified database like that, um, the Dutch government is talking to regional and then provincial or even within a city uh, like, like Amsterdam or, or uh, a super region around Amsterdam, for instance, um, where we have several hospitals that, that start uh, working together on the diagnostics parts. Uh, on sharing the information across between those hospitals, but they never uh, go from uh, the north of the Netherlands to the south of the Netherlands or the east of the Netherlands to the west of the Netherlands. They stay within their region. Um, that is historically like that, uh, but I understand that the Ministry of Health in the Netherlands is now uh, uh, poking through this slightly and um, uh, has set up a, a, a project or several projects in order to align this. Now, um, again, a, a public company uh, or a public hospital or a public healthcare institute that is regionally uh, bound to, 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 to their uh, patient base um, might not ever have that, that complete overview or wish to get their data spread across the rest of the country or maybe even um, the, uh, the likelihood of, a, of, of an external or non-regional person coming into that region and needing the healthcare uh, uh, out of a centralized database uh, uh, information would be at that point still uh, uh, difficult to, to, to fathom for them. Whereas we as a private company, we are now from coast to border. Uh, so from North Sea to the German, uh, the, the German border, as we say, 
and uh, we will need to set up a a, a master patient index uh, where we understand okay we have this record that comes from this hospital with these uh, um, identifiers um, uh, we will send the information that they request back on that identifier but the identifier for that hospital is completely different as for a completely different hospital in a different region so all these things uh, create a huge complexity that current healthcare institutes in the Netherlands might not necessarily see uh, uh, as far as maybe just uh, uh, the neighboring region uh, that they see, but we see the whole country. And I think we can really play a role uh, for the Ministry of Health, uh, with the Ministry of Health, but also with the rest of the healthcare um, uh, organizations in, in, in the Netherlands. And we are happy to play that role as well. It's, it's one of our uh, uh, mottos uh, eventually to, to, to work out and, and not just have this competition part, but collaboration part. And I think that will be a, a, a big change in the, in the Dutch healthcare uh, landscape. I think with that and also kind of almost pitching your idea to other people, how important is storytelling and communication for an IT leader? I'm conscious not everyone knows how things actually work. And there may be lots of acronyms and just general confusion. How do you land messages you need to as an IT leader? I, I take it to 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 the everyday. So um, uh, and and even even in my in my IT uh, environment, uh, if I don't want to bore a an infrastructure person with uh, whatever is uh, um, uh, needed on a how do you say that uh, uh, more business analysis part or the or vice versa. I, I take it out of complete out of uh, out of uh, um, uh, uh, context. So, um, for instance, we work with uh, System A. Uh, uh, the name of the system is System A, but uh, the configuration of System A is completely different in uh, one sub-organization than from the other sub-organization. Now, how do you explain that, uh, 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 for instance, to a finance person that uh, yes, we do have uh, one System A. Yes, we have costs that come in on one system A, but actually there are two systems. So if I switch off one one of those two systems, it doesn't mean that all the costs will disappear. Now, how do you explain that? Um, uh, of course, that discussion would be more technical. Uh, how do you explain that? And that's very simple. I say, well, uh, a car, and, and that's really not healthcare, of course, but a car can come from uh, the same manufacturer, but has different brands. So if I have, for instance, Volkswagen, they have Seat, they have um, uh, Volkswagen themselves, they have Porsche, they have Audi, and many more. And if I want to take a door off a Seat and I want to put it on a Volkswagen, it will not fit because they have a different bodywork. But underneath, they're the same. They have the same engine, they have the same major components that are there, but they are slightly different. And I, that's how I explain in a, in a very simple way on, on uh, what is possible. Other things, um, and, and it's not necessarily because I'm a man that I take uh, uh, um, uh, the car industry, but um, I, I truly understand that, uh, for instance, sometimes I say, well, you have a choice up to a certain point. And then people say, well, what do you mean with that? So, well, very simple. If you as a man, uh, and yes, I do generalize. I'm very sorry for that. I already apologize uh, up front. But if you as a man say, uh, I want to have this car, uh, you will say, I want to have it uh, uh, with this, this, this much horsepower. I want these uh, gadgets in there and whatever. Now, then your wife comes and says, but it needs to be a white one. Right? So together you get the product. Together you get where you need to be. But 
uh, you as a person, you as a, a decider, will always get the need to get outside information in order to make the decision work. So again, there, that's the kind of like the storytelling. What do I, 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 I usually try and figure out how I can make things simpler um, in, in trying to relate to, to people. And I do this culturally as well. So uh, I'm not just doing this on, on, on uh, um, a, a standardized uh, automotive uh, explanation talk in that sense, but I would be able to bring that into a specific French, Saudi Arabian or, 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 or a Far Eastern uh, uh, context where I say, well, <clears throat> for instance, um, I cannot speed up a certain uh, bit of work or a certain project um, just by putting nine more people on it, I can also not uh, make the pregnancy of a camel uh, that usually lasts nine months last one month if I put nine camels on it. And then people start understanding what you're actually meaning. And they start accepting it. I wonder, with all of that, do you have any advice? What's your kind of your number one piece of advice that you'd give to someone, sort of an IT professional who's looking to step up into maybe a leadership role or, you know, yeah, wanting to advance in their career? I would always say read the room. Um, uh, so read the room uh, for me means um, I'm not going to a, a Steve Jobs saying that you, you shouldn't be the smartest person in the room. You should let the smartest person in the room talk. Yeah. Yes. Well, if that is the case, if there is a smarter person on a certain subject, bring it into the room. Let them talk. Uh, brief them beforehand and let them talk. But then learn from it. Uh, you might still not be able to pick everything up, but you learn from it. Uh, the same as with, with cultural differences. Uh, when I walk into a room, I usually stay quiet for the first five to 10 minutes. It's not always easy, but uh, staying quiet for the first five to 10 minutes to actually read, okay, um, is the, uh, the person talking actually the person in charge? Is the person talking uh, um, uh, actually, for instance, the vendor? Um, I came into situations where the vendor was the client and the client was the vendor, or at least that was the roles that they were doing in that meeting. So that was a complete disconnect between uh, where the project needed to go. And that was the first thing that we needed to solve. Now, if you go in guns blazing and say, well, this needs to change and that needs to change and X needs to and, and, and Y, uh, you might not still not get there. So stop, listen, think, and then do. And I think, um, um, that will bring you anywhere, uh, at home, at school, uh, university, uh, but certainly in, in work. And you don't always get that chance. You, sometimes you really have to hit the ground running, but at least then uh, hit the ground running, give yourselves a, 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 like a couple of minutes, depending on how long you have, or a couple of weeks, depending on how long you have. And then, uh, but then really start looking into where are the strengths of the people of, around me and use that rather than trying to do everything yourself, but you, because you can never do that. I think that's great advice and so applicable literally anywhere, like you said. So are there any misconceptions about IT professionals that you'd like to debunk? Yes, I did my uh, study uh, in languages and uh, uh, I never studied anything on IT. There are people that did everything on IT and they now work in operations or they work in finance or whatever it is. Um, I don't think also that working in IT is specifically, um, uh, uh, you need to have an IT mind. Uh, for everybody, there's a role and uh, there, there, there's a need for anything. Of course, there are specializations if you want to do coding, etc. But even there, um, you need to understand that, that uh, whatever you're trying to do and wherever you're trying to end up in, uh, uh, you need your, your, your 
soft skills, as everybody says, or I'm just saying your skill set uh, to adapt to that role. And um, uh, change is constant, as everybody says. Um, uh, if you can adapt, uh, that's great. If you cannot adapt, uh, um, you have to find uh, your niche into where you can excel in that sense. Because either you excel in what you're good at and you keep excelling, but you keep an eye on the horizon to see if what you are doing is still going to be valid within the next six to eight months. Uh, uh, because if that's not the case, uh, you're going to basically create yourself uh, or work yourself in a cul-de-sac that you cannot work out of anymore. So if, for instance, I would have stayed on AS400 technologies uh, and I would still be on AS400 technologies, my market would be enormously small because there's so many uh, companies that have already migrated to other uh, ERP systems and, 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 and supporting systems. Now, uh, like I said, if I'm a, a, a fax machine technician, I would have already have, uh, um, uh, needed to find a different kind of job um, and probably have to go into uh, uh, switches and network systems in order to maintain them and step away from the faxes. Um, then again, if I go to Japan, everything there is still, uh, or a lot of things are still uh, managed by faxes based on the fact that that's what they are used to. So again, there, read the room, figure out what you want and how to, how to get there. But you don't need to have a, a, an IT background in order to work in IT. And you don't need to have uh, uh, the full skill set of a developer or a, a, a master hacker or whatever it is to go into IT. IT is not, uh, doesn't need to be scary. Uh, it could be accessible to anybody. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentoring, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team. Going back to what you were saying, though, about see what's on the horizon, see if your job is still going to be there, where currently where you are. Do you are there any is there anything that you find is overhyped right now and might ha might be on that kind of decline in a few years? I think within IT, everything has their 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 bell curve, right? Uh, you always have this 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 uptake, this slow uptake of a new technology. Then you have an enormous uptake of the new technology because everybody needs to be on it or whatever it is. It it reaches a certain peak and then it starts to peter down. Uh, one of them. Um, uh, and it's not completely uh, as a, a nullified at the, in, in the end. But if I look, for instance, at blockchain, uh, a couple of years ago, everybody needed to go and move to blockchain uh, because it was the newest and the hypest and whatever it is. Um, uh, I see some possibilities for it, uh, maybe even in the, in, the, in the medical sharing of information and data that we can secure it. Uh, that's fine. But uh, the hype that it was before is really not the hype that it actually is or the implementation level that it will actually be. So that's one of the things. And um, uh, IT also has, uh, and that's also a generalization, but I, I, I feel that as well, has a, um, uh, a tendency to, to rebrand certain, of, uh, certain uh, methodologies into something that sounds a bit more sexy. So everybody is going to the cloud. Well, how is that different from the, the previous data center that everybody had in a closet somewhere with a, with a huge uh, air conditioning on top? It is not. 
It is just that the line between that room where the air conditioning is running uh, uh, super hot because all the servers are there is not in your building anymore, but it's in another building, right? So your data center is somewhere else. And, uh, but that all of a sudden, it means the cloud. And uh, uh, all of a sudden, uh, there's a cloud te technologist and this and that, whilst the, the role hasn't changed much. Uh, the role to get there, uh, of course, you don't have to bike uh, or you don't take an elevator to go to the room and, and, and open the room and, and replug some of the, the cables. No, you do that more virtually now. And it, yes, it is easier. And uh, um, uh, anything on scale or most of the things that's, that you scale up, you can do at a, at a lower cost per, per unit. So that those are the, the, the benefits of it. But going to the cloud basically just means that I put my data in somebody else's uh, 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 data warehouse. And, and that's what it is. So I look at it from a, from a more holistic perspective on, on what is really new. Now, blockchain was really new. How can you use it? You cannot use it for everything. Same as, like I just said, AI, I can use it for certain things within the medical profession, but I can also not use it or should not, maybe not use it uh, uh, elsewhere. And that's mainly on uh, uh, security, but also permissions. Speaking of kind of technological upgrades, with your kind of focus in aligning new tech with business practices, how do you approach the process of digital transformation to ensure that it's not just a technological upgrade, but creating you know creating an advantage for the business? We are currently in that in, in multiple uh, trajectories of of doing that. Um, uh, so we are in a, in a huge uh, uh, group-wide transformation. We're in a, a huge country-wide transformation. And uh, uh, we have the, 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 the benefit, I don't want to say benefit, but the, yes, the benefit of also joining all the, the, the sub-companies into one company, which is a yet another transformation. Now, I had a discussion this morning uh, where I... Uh, uh, informed my head of ops uh, uh, to say, okay, listen, I need some people of your team to work with me on my IT project. And he says, why? I said, well, very simple. I can give you the keys. Here comes one of those an analogies again. So I can give you the keys to the car on, on April uh, 30, uh, 30th, but I don't want you to start then looking at, do I have my driver's license? Do I have my insurance? Do I have this and do I have that? So I would like you to start running and get your driver's license. Make sure the insurance is there. Make sure you have a parking spot for that car. So I can give you the keys. You have the car. You can start driving with it. That's basically how I how I approach these things. And um, uh, so whenever I hear um, uh, from the business, well, we have this trajectory where we need to make a change in process X or Y. Of course, then we look into what does that mean for for the projects and for the systems that are behind it. Um, but if on another point we say uh, uh, we as as IT see that there is a need based on, for instance, end of life of a, uh, of, a um, uh, of a certain system, or on a new technologies that come in and therefore will make it easier for the business to work, we will notify the business and sit with the business and say, okay, listen, this is what's coming. We are going to work on this. We need your uh, input and help. And it will always be a, a crossover project or a collaborative project between the the, the needs. If you look at it from a, a vertical and horizontal uh, perspective, most companies, uh, um, uh, their operations, finance, HR, uh, uh, commercial, they work in silos. They work very much in silos in that sense. And, and underneath, literally sometimes in the bottom, 
there's IT that links everything together or needs to link everything together. So um, in that sense, uh, uh, on the top, you have, of course, your, your senior manager and they make the plans, they make the strategy and you're, you're very much involved in that. And that's one of the positions that I'm in at the moment. But if you look at the IT department itself, it basically unifies all these uh, all these areas because if I have a, a a service that I have performed and I need to have an invoice being sent, uh, uh, the service is being performed by ops, but the invoice is being sent by and collected by uh, finance. On top of that, there needs to be a legal uh, review of the contracts that you have, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, again, there uh, I think you're the you're the catalyst um, uh, with most of the projects. You're the catalyst of of uh, uh, change within within the company, and I think that's that's what you carry as as an IT person. Within the balance of kind of the IT department just doing upgrades of what the current systems are and thinking about where they can sort of transport, innovate the whole, the whole process, maybe change a whole system. What do you think the balance is between those things? Is there one that not should be focusing on, but almost should they always be thinking about the next innovation, the next innovation, or is it okay at some time to just be thinking about, okay, should we upgrade this? Should we make sure this is functioning to the best it can be at the moment? Let me say it like this. Um, I, I have currently uh, uh, four, uh, let's not go too far in, in, in the history, so I currently have four completely different IT landscapes. Again, some of those uh, uh, applications have the same name, but they have been configured completely differently according to the last uh, according to the changes within those uh, individual organizations for the last couple of years, couple of years as in 15 to 20 years. So all these systems are relatively old. Uh, they have been upgraded, of course. I mean, they probably started with version 2 and now they are version 6 or version 10 or whatever it is and, and, and multiple dot releases because, of course, the, the Defender also uh, creates uh, uh, new, new systems. So you're basically uh, linked to um, uh, four different environments. Now, in order to put them together, you have two options. Either you do it one environment, you bring it to another environment, and that those two you then bring to yet another environment, and the third, the fourth one that you bring into that new environment that you've created, or you basically build a fifth one and you make move all the data over. All depends on uh, what can be done and how can it be done. I'm not saying one is better than the other. It all depends on, on the situation there and then. And of course, also, you have to take into account what is the strategy of certain applications and uh, systems from a vendor perspective, because it could be very well that a vendor uh, with the next release uh, has a brilliant idea that doesn't fit your brilliant ideas. And uh, then you also have to make sure that certain things work or even what happens uh, and what's happening at the moment is a certain vendor say, well, actually, we're pulling the plug out of this uh, um, uh, system because it's really out of date and we need to start upgrading that now. It gives you only opportunities to um, look back into that processes behind these systems and say, together with the business, this is how we believe that it, you can benefit from a change in that system. And change doesn't necessarily mean a complete overhaul. It doesn't mean that you, 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 you rip it out and you put a completely different system in there. But there is a change, a certain change. And you look at it uh, from, from that aspect. Uh, do I need more FTEs in order to fulfill the administrative tasks there? Hopefully you want to have less FTEs, but if you have less FTEs, do you still have the security and, and uh, uh, maintenance and the view on the system that you need, et cetera, et cetera. So again, you, you, you take it as you go. 
you look at it from a, a, a holistic perspective, from the strategy part, from uh, basically all the silos that I just mentioned. So the, the, the HR part, the finance part, the, the ops part, but also the IT itself. Um, and then you start adjusting and adapting according to, to what you as a, a group of people have decided. Um, sometimes you need to take a, a executive action. Luckily, I'm in that level, so you can take an executive uh, decision. Uh, uh, but most of the time, it's really a discussion between uh, uh, the right parties to, to set the, the, the path uh, 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 together uh, to make sure that you end up together. And of course, you have then the, the, the timelines that might be slightly different and you have to make an adaptation into one or the other trajectory. Uh, but eventually, you, you, you'll have a, a, a plan that works for all and not just for you. And I think that's where you, where you need to get to. It's interesting hearing it from some of your perspective and kind of seeing the way that you think and the way that you go about all of that. So thank you very much. In that, though, we kind of, what we do at the end of these, um, these episodes is we do a, a few quick fire questions. So quick fire question number one, can you describe your desk for our audience? My desk is uh, uh, literally partially very clean and partially very messy. Uh, I usually, uh, uh, where I work and where I have my hands and where I uh, move uh, my mouse is enormously clean. But as soon as I get out of that perimeter, it can be quite messy and uh, might be uh, also uh, an analogy for the rest of my life where, uh, where I work, uh, uh, it is fairly clean, but uh, the rest could be fairly messy in that sense. Then again, a messy mind is not necessarily a bad mind. Uh, it just means that things are not uh, always in the bucket where it needs to. In another life, what would your career be? That's difficult because I've tasted so many things at the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm an employee now. I've been uh, an independent contractor. Um, uh, like I said, I did, I did languages and communication and I'm now in, in, in IT. Well, you need to listen and talk to many people. So I, I think it's not far off, but um, it's more based on the soft skills than the hard skills than that, that I have. Um, uh, what would I be? What would I want to be or would I, would I be? I don't know. Um, I, I hope that I would be uh, more in touch with nature, uh, that I would be uh, uh, <coughs> in a slightly warmer climate. Uh, it, it helps me uh, and my mindset. Uh, but then again, also not too, uh, too warm. Uh, and I would think that um, I might, I like working in, in healthcare at the moment. I like working towards helping people, not just on a commercial side, uh, uh, trying to sell as many products, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, really this is, this is uh, uh, sometimes even life changing. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very okay with that. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I mean, if I would not have this job or if I would be in a different lifetime, um, maybe I just wanted to be a, a painter uh, or, or a car mechanic. I don't know. Um, yeah, it, someone some, sometimes uh, somewhere, somewhere said um, uh, that um, uh, if you make your work from your hobby, you never work in your life. On the other hand, if you make your work, if you make your hobby, you work. Um, uh, you get different kinds of stress levels uh, where your hobby might not be as nice anymore uh, because you have to. And I think um, uh, to have that split that I have currently, uh, there are certain things that I really do because I have to. I have to put money on the table. 
I have to put a roof over my head, all the other things. If I can do that with painting, I might make the switch. If I cannot do that with painting, I certainly will not at the moment. Well, I have to say, I've had a look at your, your website with your your artwork. I don't know, would you call it? It's not pop. Yes, pop art, yes. And there are some absolute kind of incredible pieces of art on there. To the listeners, I, I suggest that you do have a look at the website because it is absolutely amazing. The next question will be, what makes someone a good traveling companion? You, you said you've traveled a lot. Somebody with an adventurous mind. Uh, uh, and I'm not just thinking because my wife has a advent- very adventurous mind. Uh, uh, but um, there, are, there are different kinds of people and I respect them all. Right? There's people that, that um, uh, cannot sit still, need to go, uh, they need to move, they need to see new things, meet new people, eat new food, uh, uh, and have new experiences. And there's people that, that say, well, I, I can't see the church tower anymore, so I get homesick. Uh, and you have everything in between. So I'm, I'm, I'm very okay with anybody. Uh, um, when I travel, I travel very light. So uh, I don't want to do the 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 uh, uh, the, the, the twenty uh, suitcases on a, on a trolley uh, moving it into the uh, into the airplane. Even when I moved uh, temporarily to Asia, I think uh, we left with three suitcases for three people um, uh, with everything that we had in there. The rest was all in a in, in a storage warehouse uh, uh, because we sold the house. Um, what I like is um, I. I'm not usually the biggest arranger of things, so I would like to have my travel companion to to look at. Well, I would like to go in here. Would you go on a hike there? Would you do uh, look at this village, uh, this city, uh, etc.? Um, uh, I can help with uh, most of the the travel arrangements, the uh, hotels, uh, etc. Um, and then after that, I'm very relaxed, and I think my my. Um, uh, travel companion is either leading me towards where they want to go and I will go with them or uh, is uh, uh, on the same level where they say, well, actually, we just want to put our feet in the water and uh, have the waves lapping at our toes and, uh, and, and, that, and that's it. And the last question from me, and it's a question that we ask all our guests. Ralph, on a scale from one to ten, how weird are you? It can run up to an eight. Uh, um, on 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 certain the ways of I make decisions uh, on what I do on how I do, I would not have been where I am at the moment if I would not have uh, sometimes rebelled um, at certain things. Uh, I mean, it's always like everybody says, always easier to ask for forgiveness. Um, well, the forgiveness becomes more and more expensive uh, the higher you get into into the echelons of, of, of business itself. But no, I would say it, uh, an eight that I can be weird uh, based on the fact that um, I'm usually the nonconformist uh, uh, person in the room uh, in that sense. So uh, I can come up with things that, that might not have been thought of before. Um, or where people have said, no, actually, we've already discussed this uh, in and out and, and, and um, you're five months late, but nice for you to, to, to say it like this and, and come in with such passion. And on that note, we have rattled through all the questions you want to ask. Um, Ralph, thank you so much for your time, your insights and this wonderful conversation. No problem. It was a pleasure to be here. So concludes another episode of Label Sessions Presents. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast no matter your platform of choice. And of course, start your journey today with us at labelsessions.com.